Welcome to the Experience Oriented Fitness Podcast, where we explore how our experiences can be a powerful source of insight into how we create fitness results that last a lifetime. I'm your host, Coach Caleb, and on today's episode, I am joined by psychotherapist and author of Quarter Life, Sacha Doyle Biok, for a conversation touching on how we treat our bodies as we pursue our fitness goals, how our culture has influenced us in the way we treat our bodies, as well as our shared passion in Jungian psychology and much more. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Experience Oriented Fitness Podcast. I am beyond excited, you'll probably sense it all through this episode, uh, to welcome my next guest, Satya Doyle Bayok, who is, say hi. Hi, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. Um, It was Yeah, I had a friend actually, before I get into your intro, I had a friend who had done his own podcast. And when I started this, he had mentioned, he's like, you know, just message anyone that you think you would like to have on. You'll be surprised who says yes. And you were my first swing for this for the fences and it ended up being a home run. (laughs) I I was so delighted to say yes. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, So brief intro, Satya is the author of Quarter Life, The Search for Self in Early Adulthood, which was published in July 2022. Uh, I've shared that on my stories and uh, many people I think have already gone out and purchased it. Um, Her work is featured on NPR's Life Kit, Morning Edition and Weekend Edition, The New York Times, Oprah Daily, and many other uh, mediums uh, that you can consume. Uh, Satya is a practicing psychotherapist in Portland, Oregon, and the director of the Salome Institute of Union Studies, where she teaches online. Um, She is also the co-host of the now-completed and loved-by-me podcast on Carl Jung's Red Book and writes for her own substack, The Quarter Lifer. Uh, Satya's clinical work, teaching, and writing draw influences from a a few primary areas, including union psychology, trauma research, and social justice advocacy. So I apologize for my stumbling over it. No, I was actually thinking how much of that I mean, all of it, you pronounced perfectly. There's a lot of words that people stumble stumble over. My name and Salome and Jungian and all the rest. And you are spot on. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because I first heard Salome said on your podcast. And then I listened to the Red Book on audiobook um, because I have it in like any way that I can consume it. And uh, the reader always says Salome. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? Cured meat? <laughs> like, what are we doing? So. Yeah, my experience is in the UK, they pronounce it Salome. And I like that too, but it's not anyway. So whatever, that's all. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I could nail the pronunciation and get this off to a good start. Um, And you know, I've, I've kind of already said it, but I so much appreciate you taking the time to not only come on this podcast and, uh, you know, gift us your time, but also to speak to something I know, like, I'm not sure if you've been on a fitness podcast ever. Um, But I know when I sent you the message, I was like, I know this is maybe not in your typical sphere of work, but I think it would be really valuable because what I'm doing is trying to expand the scope of kind of what we consider as we pursue fitness. And uh, I think that I'll just kind of turn it over to you if there was anything that I left out. But even if you wanted to dive in a little bit to how you, from your perspective, view the fitness industry. If that's too big oh, of a question, like too expansive, um, or or maybe even just how you view 
the value of psychology as you see and practice it can be used in the fitness industry? Well, I, I'm not sure that I have a take on the fitness industry because my sense of any industry is it's, it's like anything. I mean, if we're going to talk very Jungian, there's the, there's the light and the dark side or the, you know, the shadow of anything, but there's also the positive of anything. And I can say the reason I accepted your invitation is because it's very clear. I mean, from previous just small messages you had sent me when the book came out and things, there's an affinity and a sense of a shared zeitgeist um, I think there are many mm-hmm. parts of any industry, as I say, but the fitness industry, they're not really speaking to me, or maybe I don't think I'm going to speak to their audience. Um, so I'm excited to talk about uh, wellness and growth and health and um, both psychological transformation, but embodied psychological transformation mm-hmm. and and how yes. work with the body and work with the mind or the emotional space, psyche, can be mutually supportive, right? I mean, I like I don't yeah. talk much in my book or or in, you know, sort of just daily life in regards to my work, which is psychologically, um, you know, oriented mostly than mind and emotion as people think of it. But, but fitness or yoga or embodied movement has always been very important to my change you know my own growth and and my Mm -hmm. work with clients so so i'm excited for wherever this conversation goes yeah and i think we'll just let it flow because as you know i kind of had like a few questions here and there um but i think that i'd rather just kind of see how it goes let it flow and let whatever arises between us be the uh the meat and potatoes of this episode um but i love that you mentioned embodiment and and kind of like the body in that because i know even with with my work and oddly the fitness industry doesn't really use embodiment to inform our decision making right? right it's a weird um almost dichotomy between this idea that we can change our bodies and you know change this almost like disgusting whatever like outside right. object that is just for our control and something that i really do is uh try to bring embodiment into that and uh i, love that. I think like a good segue Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I think that's the core already to me in terms of a sort of shared affinity that um, the body is very frequently associated, whether it's in Christianity or other religions or just sort of the basis of so much of our culture and society. I mean, I could say in the West, but I think worldwide, the body is associated with nature. It's associated with the feminine. It's associated with things that tend to be um, viewed as less than or um, negative, or again, as you say here for our control, like the idea that, that humans, um, are given the land and nature and bodies to be in control of. And that's part of what I think a narrative at a ground level that I am certainly trying to shift even in tiny ways. Um, the ideas of optimizing or controlling is just not part of my vocabulary. And I think it's always bound to fail because I think nature and the body and the soul will always push back and try to get its way again. And that shows up in symptoms. It shows up in illness. It shows up in physical injury. It shows up in rage and grief. Um, So we have to stay in relationship with our bodies and our souls to to kind of get where we want to go, to be in a partnership instead of an abusive relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I, I just smile so much when you say that because 
you know, and we had kind of talked about this before the podcast, like I have kept my, um, the, well, I guess the fact that much of what I'm doing with this podcast, with my clients, uh, with fitness is so informed by Jungian psychology, uh, I don't know why that is exactly, but I figured that this is a perfect opportunity to kind of let people in on that. And I mean, people listening to this will even know because I put so much emphasis on the body and the fact that, you know, many coaches take data and data is a big thing in, I would say, you know, good coaches that can get results. But they take data from the from the standpoint of like, if I know what data is coming back to me from these certain inputs into the system, then I can control it more. And what I really like to do and teach clients about is this data is not for us to control you. This data is the primary way that we can learn to have a dialogue with your body, mm. right? It's not like you're doing this and then the data comes up. So it's like, let's, you know, rearrange everything so that we get our way. But it's more like, what is the body saying? And and really opening space for the process that comes up through engaging with fitness and that's why we call it experience oriented not goal oriented mm -hmm. not process oriented we open space for this experience to arise and uh you know who knows why i'm not going to make it's an beautiful. assertion of why it works mm -hmm. so well but what i do see is is really profound change in people as they do achieve the results but it, it really just changes their perspective in the way that they move through that it's so beautiful and i love i mean i sort of feel teary hearing you express say the phrase dialogue with the body because it really is such a dramatic difference from like we talk about or you know i have not done this myself but i grew up in montana right there's a lot of um talk of breaking horses you know of sort of getting a horse to, um, to be compliant or to, to be obedient, to do what you want it to do. And then there's another school of thought that is much more relational and taking the horse's well-being into account from the jump. And, and I think they are two schools of thought. And I am without question in the camp in my work with clients and in my, you know, what I write about in my book that we have to understand who we are in partnership with. And that means in an embodied relationship, um, our bodies at a, at, at the sort of ground level. So to be in dialogue is such a respectful place to begin. And, and I feel quite certain ultimately has long-term benefits in terms of well-being because there doesn't have to be the pushback or like the massive breakdown or divorce, so to speak, later on where finally the body takes back control, you know. Yeah, I kind of always say like if you're working against your body and not with it, eventually it's going to revolt. And Absolutely. I think so many people resonate because like for me even I have tightened and and a lot of my life was let's control everything. And uh eventually you're just holding and creating more and more and more pressure and then, you know, the more you've controlled it for the longer, the bigger that That's kind of right. fallout. And so I'm really trying to help people move away from that. Do you have an inclination of where this kind of idea of needing to control these kind of, in my opinion, natural elements that can't be controlled? Like, I don't think we can control our body. We think we can. But it's like, even if I'm moving my hand, um, at the end of the day, I'm thinking about moving my hand in the process of cascading things from my butt, from my brain, through my nerves. Like, I'm not controlling every everything of that. And that's the thing where we see like, 
motor diseases like MS and things mm -hmm. like we do lose control. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically, I'm just wondering, do you see there being kind of like a deeper thing in our culture that that kind of has informed that idea that we need to control uh, the natural parts of ourselves or nature? Well, there's no question. And I, I don't know how political or, you know, where you want to go with this, but, but I, I honestly don't think it's that political to say that, that the religious foundations of our culture um, and the patriarchal foundations and the white supremacist foundations of our culture, all of these things combine to say um, dominance is natural um, and dominance of a certain type of person, first of all, human over nature and animals. Um, but that also means over our bodies fundamentally. Um, it means men over women. It means adults over children. Um, it means rich over poor. It means white over black. And so you ultimately are creating a system that says dominance is, um, natural and control therefore because people don't like to be dominated dom what's the word is that dominated is that the right word yeah i think so i think that's right because people don't like to be controlled because animals don't like to be controlled because it's not actually natural nature is everything lives according to its own self trees grow according to their own laws birds are moving according to their own laws and their own instincts the same is true for ants and cats and um, women and children, you know. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't be working towards, again, relationship and, um, and like parents. There are very healthy ways to support children to grow towards their best selves versus their worst selves. Um, but as any, any child who has been, who has grown up under severe dominance and control, they know when they get older, that didn't work for them. And they no longer probably have a relationship with that parent um, because it's too painful because they can't live their existence in a state of control. So we are trying, I think, or some parts of this culture, our world are trying to detox from this fundamental idea um, that, that dominance and control are the way that, um, we are supposed to act. What's tricky is if you have not detoxed, detoxed from that belief, you just double down and triple down, you know? So if control hasn't worked for your body because your body's rebelling, then the only thing you know is to do more control and to try different forms of control. And then you're just trapped because it's one tool. And if that tool stops working, you can't even conceive of a different way forward. It requires a genuine detox from some of these kind of base ideas that we were all raised with. Absolutely. And I think there's there's so much there. Um, and I think we see it in the fitness industry of like, you know, someone goes and they try to lose weight. So they're going to go with like, you know, maybe dieting books and things like that. And that doesn't work because they're all, you know, not individualized to that to that person and then maybe they go and work with a coach and it's still not working and you know over time it's like well these things aren't going to work because you keep kind of going into this roller coaster of dieting and bringing your food back up and dieting and, and overworking and all these things and then rather than you know accepting what feedback you're getting and maybe like just trying to give your body the the things it needs like appropriate what we would call training volume you know not running yourself into the ground eating enough 
food, right? Um, rather than thinking like, well, I'll only eat meat or I'll only eat vegetables or, or kind of getting extreme in our thinking. And rather than just doing that, now there's this whole thing of like, let's draw blood, let's look at your hormones. And it's almost like these people in the fitness industry rather than, you know, seeing that the more knowledge they gain, the sharper the delineation is between what they know and don't know. They just want to expand, 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 expand to try to gain more and more control to help these people that are further and further down that kind of like uh, control highway, I guess, so to speak. And what you said, that that phrase again, um, rather than integrating the feedback. I mean, again, I feel sort of emotional hearing that. It's like, yes, I want to like pump my fists in the air. That's the thing. Again, that's a relationship. That's not control and dominance and being pissed that the other person or the other body or whatever it is is not responding. And so to really approach it from a state of relationship, of dialogue, and then, you know, again, shocking, incorporate the feedback. <laughs> what is the information you're getting back in return, right? It's so powerful. Absolutely. And I think too, um, you know, like I had mentioned in my email to you yesterday, like this quote um, in the inside jacket of your book, just kind of right in the front and it's bolded and highlighted and it says, I'm stuck. What's wrong with me? Is this all there is? And I hear that, but I hear I'm stuck. What's wrong with my body, mm. right? Is all I'm meant to be this? And then, you know, whatever pejorative terms you want to use to describe this other entity that's not you. Mm -hmm. And so what I really like to do is, you know, give people the the framework of like your body is is not this horrible thing that you need to control and the way that we can begin to understand that is by giving it voice giving it a space to hear it and you know it's I'm not like I think too when we talk about these things in today's day and age it's kind of like people are like okay sure whatever but it's like I have like we have real data that shows that this is a productive way of living and uh and I can already tell you, I, I, having not experienced your work, would be 10 times more likely to come back to those sessions week after week than I would if somebody was trying to teach me to control my body. Because I fundamentally don't trust that as a, as a route. Yeah, and the, I, you know what the ironic thing is, is that, um, you know, my clients and the feedback I get from within my business is extremely strong. Mm. People really resonate with it because they're given space to be human beings yes. and we work with that. And then, you know, I think that this is very union in the idea of like, what I want to do is discover this person's values as they pertain to health and fitness and show them how to be healthy in that Beautiful. way, yep. right? And let them express themselves as individuals within the so-called container that we have to work with called health and fitness. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. But thank you. Mm -hmm. The irony is that the people outside of the, of the business don't like that because it takes time and it takes, you know, wrestling with the discomfort of letting your body have its own kind of autonomy to a sense you know we don't give it absolute autonomy it's not the the king of the castle so to speak now but we certainly don't silence it any longer and you know people are just like whatever i'm just gonna you know beat this thing down into a pulp and, and sculpt it the way i want mm -hmm. and it's like ironically sculpting is done with rock and concrete so it's pretty lifeless but um... well and again i think people there's a question of short-term results versus long-term results like i'm my goal and this is 
I mean, we should maybe say when you say the word Jungian, I imagine there's a lot of people who don't even know what, you know, what that is that you're saying. So I can just say that we're talking about the work of Carl Jung and maybe from a particular lens, I think we share a particular read on Jung's work that, um, that may be different from the way some people have encountered it. But, um, but I will say that, you know, part of what this is, it's all about sort of trusting the inner voice really fundamentally um, and, and letting it guide you. And, and this is maybe kind of a, I don't know if it's an appropriate thing to say, but, but um, one thing that was core to Jung is the, is the knowledge that we are going to die, you know, the fundamental knowledge and Freud had the same take, like it's not revolutionary. Hey, this life is finite and that I know in, you know, in really understanding what his work was about in my own sense of things is if we don't remember that the goal is to be able to look back on our life and feel like I'm, I feel pretty good about the way I lived, you know, like my, my, my own goals and intentions are very long-term. They are towards my deathbed, so to speak, right? I don't want to have regrets and I don't want to be um, suffering unnecessarily, Um People who are forcing their bodies to perform in a certain way, um, I don't think are looking at the big picture necessarily of healthcare. It's more of a short-term picture of performance um, and um, and and short-term goals. And and like that's okay if that's what you're choosing, right? Um, I think it at some point runs out. There are at some point injuries and pain and illness and things that bounce back because the body again, as we've said several times now, but it's, is reclaiming dominance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's funny because I often say to people and, and, you know, talk on this podcast that like, I want fitness to be a way that we can step into our lives right now, like that we can live now, because I think that it's so often this stifling thing. That's like, when I am this way, when I am acceptable to myself based on the way I perceive myself in the mirror, uh, only then is life livable, yeah. right? Or or worth living in a way. So yes, and, and you know, that again, I really, uh, I value Jung's work tremendously in my life and it's become, you know, my primary um, philosophy, if that's the right yeah. word, I don't know. The framework. Yeah, something I'd like to ask though is, I think that when we hear Carl Jung or Jungian psychology, you know, those of us maybe that have taken like a entry-level undergrad psychology course will maybe know him for the collective unconscious and maybe the archetypes uh, and then maybe complex theory if they if they were, you know, giving him credit for that. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think that many people that have, haven't gone out of their way to like deeply read and understand Jung really understand what it's all about. So would you be able to share a little bit about kind of how you see what the core message that Jung was trying to get across or maybe some insight? Because I know that his core message is deep, <laughs> but maybe an idea that people can have in their head to be like, okay, like I kind of can, can put this in my brain and understand where maybe Jung should sit. I'll do my best, but I think you should feel free to add in at any point because, um, you know, his, his, his work spanned, um, you know, about 60 years or so. Um, I'll say just very simply, he was a, a doctor. He was one of the first psychiatrists or um, pioneers of talk therapy. And he was 
a friend of Freud's for a little while, although they were uh, many decades apart. Freud was much older. Um, and so most of Jung's work really came after um, the friendship with Freud. Um, Jung, Jung took the unconscious seriously. He also took the feminine seriously. And in some ways they can be considered the same thing. He took the body seriously. Um, and so Jung's work really originated, his sort of insights originated in working with um, schizophrenic patients and, and um, what we would now understand as highly traumatized patients who were in the mental hospital in um, just outside of Zurich, Switzerland. And what he understood was that their bodies were actually conveying a great deal of information about what had happened to them. That there was, for instance, a young um, woman who, or she was an old woman at that point, who had been in the hospital for decades um, with uh, a schizophrenic, like some kind of psychosis or trauma. And he observed her doing this same movement over and over and over and over again. And the nurses said she does that constantly. She never stops doing that. And he observed it and finally understood that what she was doing was essentially a... Um, it was as if she was sewing a shoe. He spoke, he tried to speak to her about it. He gained information. It turned out that she had fallen madly in love with a cobbler when she was young. And um, there had been just, maybe he had died or something, but there had been a very massive trauma to her psyche. And she had essentially gotten stuck there in this moment um, in time. And so her, her soul, her body, her trauma, she, she kind of broke you know, she, her, her whole worldview um, shattered and she was stuck there, but her body was expressing the memory and the pain of where she was stuck. So Jung, Jung took all this seriously, which is to say he allowed it all to be information instead of just saying, oh, she's crazy and locking her up and trying to medicate her or whatever. So all of that kind of deep respect that he has for, um, for the body and the soul and also women, which was unusual at the time, um, was attractive to me from the get-go. Um, and so, you know, how do we talk about the core of his work then? I've just tried to give a little history. Um, Jung is known, as you said, for the collective unconscious, for archetypes. He's also um, where the words extroversion and introversion come from. All of his typology that we now take sort of for granted as part of our lexicon. Uh, it's all Jung's original work. There's a lot of other words. Synchronicity is a word he coined. Um, so... Uh, I think what probably what you and I have been speaking about this whole time, this sort of quality of letting the soul or the body um, speak and letting, again, the feminine speak or the quote unquote irrational, less rational sides of ourselves speak. All of this is really is really the core message. It's to say that, you know, Jung understood through his massive midlife crisis. And this is where my book comes in, because it's really trying to speak to all this is that checking boxes as determined by your father or your school or your church um, actually don't bestow a deeply meaningful life. They bestow a life of compliance to old world orders, but they don't engage with evolution and transformation and change and growth. And we, as I said earlier about all animals and plants, everything that is alive is wired towards its own transformation and towards its own evolution. And so when you try to stifle that, you're essentially blocking off a pipe. The water has to try to go somewhere. That's where symptoms arise, you know? Um, so to stop off the life force means that everything gets stifled. And that's that was really, 
I mean, I hesitate to say this because how can you say in a body of 60, 60 years of work kind of what was the core? But I think this question of what we now call individuation, which is sort of the self-becoming in a, in a really powerful way, that's the core of Jung's work. And, um, and so it means uh, not, as I say, kind of being compliant and controlling and obsessed with order. It's about it's about everything you've said, you know, being in dialogue with yourself in a deep way and, and incorporating that feedback. Uh, that's what Jung's work is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you covered it so, so perfectly. And I mean, like you said, this is 60 years of work. There are like, I mean, you can choose one of his collected works and get lost for a good five years. Oh, I yeah. Think. Um, but that's a that's a really good summary. And I think you touched on the points that we've been talking about, right? And it's just so funny for me to hear it too, because I was thinking before this, I was like, you know, if we're talking about Jungian stuff, how am I going to kind of think about what I've been trying to do? And a lot of it is that in the fitness industry, I see a void to what we could call the energy of the feminine or yin energy, right? Like it's very Mm -hmm. masculine and and yang or yang driven. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by trying to incorporate the body into work, I also see the idea of like, when you look at Jung's typology, it's, it's basically what Myers-Briggs has become in that you've got introversion and extroversion as attitudes. And then you have the functions, which are thinking and feeling he calls rational functions and then sensation and um, intuition. Now I'm intuition. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Those are the irrational. But what I love too is like nowadays, irrational has this kind of um, negative quality in a in a weird sense but then i love that like when you read the definitions of that book he quite literally describes it as like beyond rational right. transrational and i i love that and that's kind of what i'm trying to do is bring this cast off part of what's been happening in fitness because there's been this overvaluation of you know rational masculine all of that stuff um and that attempt to rebalance things And this is where I think I can very confidently say that is the core of Jung's work, whether it was in typology, whether it was in, um, you know, engaging with dreams and the unconscious, everything he was trying to do was to say, our culture has obsessively valued one side of the story. We have to value the other side of the story if quite literally we want to save the planet We want to not lose our minds. We want to not be in a state of constant conflict and national warfare, international warfare. I mean, his, his work went from the tiniest to the largest in scope. Um, But everything you're expressing in regards to your industry and your work is, is what this is all about. It's about rebalancing so that it is not obsessively lopsided. And then again, the body just has to come up with symptoms to try to, you know, regain control. And, and regain balance is really maybe better put. Yeah. And I think that fitness just happens to be a great medium for it because like, as I say too, the body is the linchpin of fitness. And that's kind of from like, uh, James Hollis is always saying like, there's one thing that is constant in your life and that's that you are there, right? Like you are the constant. And I kind of think of that as in fitness, it's like, we can't do fitness without the body. So why are we burying it? So to speak. Yep. Um, Beautiful. But you know, that move towards balance is a very critical part of your book of quarter life of this. You set out 
two kind of uh, typologies. One is the meaning type and one is the stability type. And, uh, you know, this feels like a natural launching off point, but I think that most of the listeners to this podcast are in that quarter life phase. But I also think that... Um, what you're saying in in the book has a little bit of a timeless or ageless quality to it. I think that people at all stages of life can really, you know, get something out of it. But can you describe a little bit or talk about how what those types are meaning versus stability? Um, and then even, you know, how you see the balancing act of that unfolding over over the development years of, of quarter life? Sure. I think we've, in certain respects, already spoken a great deal about it. So I'll try to offer up a, a kind of simple understanding of it. And I'm sure that folks can kind of kind of kind of hear themselves back to what we've already been speaking about and put it all together. You know, I think most probably most people in the fitness industry are stability types or they are people trying desperately to maintain stability and control. Um, and I don't even mean that again as a slight, I just think it's temperamentally probably what's happening. I don't think that a lot of classic meaning types are going to choose the fitness industry. This is to say that part, you know, the, the sort of primary premise, I guess, of my book is that while we have been wired towards goals of security and what I call stability, um, throughout our young adulthood years, what I call quarter life, I think we've primarily been sold this story that that what we need to be doing is securing um our you know financial stability relational stability etc like get the house find the partner um get the corner office or start working there working towards that corner office they're very weirdly antiquated goals that again are very tied up with capitalism and um, patriarchy and things that are um, appropriately kind of disintegrating right now or trying to, you know, rebalance. Stability goals are oriented towards that. We were raised to be oriented towards that. It turns out, as we've been talking about, we have souls, we have bodies. Those those parts of ourselves may not want only to have safety and security and financial stability. They may also want to feel um, a deep sense of intimacy and connection and a deep sense of meaning and um, a deep con connection with this planet. And so there's that soul quality. Um, there's an inner life. There's a dream life. There's um, passion and desire. Um, there's wantings that don't fit into the prescribed uh, boxes that we are supposed to check. So um, what I talk about then is that there are these goals of needing both stability and meaning, not just stability. Um, and that... Generally speaking, in my experience as a psychotherapist and also just a person coming of age in this world, people tend to break down. And this is very rough typology. It's just an it's a way for people to start feeling themselves into this. People tend to start out as either stability types or meaning types, which is to say people who are really wired towards the uh, expectations of the dominant culture and feel like I want to go check those boxes. I need to check those boxes and people for whom those um, expectations are so unimaginable or, or so intolerable that they can't even begin or they try and fail and try and fail their meaning types. So the goal for then both types, wherever they are on the spectrum is to 
honor that both stability and meaning are goals and to try to find their way towards, in a sense, kind of respecting the shadow side. You know, stability types have to come to respect their meaning side. Meaning types have to come to respect their stability side without feeling like sellouts or, you know, norm core losers or something, whatever the terms are. <laughs> um, so that everyone can kind of find their own unique blend of, of uh, stability and meaning in their own life. Yeah. And, and that's just wonderful. And, and I mean, if it's not already clear, I do recommend that everyone picks up Satya's book because it is just such a palatable and digestible reading of many of these concepts. Um, and, and it's just, I loved it. And I remember messaging you about it um, like a couple days after it was out because I had ordered it and I was really excited for it. Um, kind of jumping around a little bit though, I wanted to ask you to, like we had talked a little bit about Jung's like fundamental ideas. And I think something that's important is, you know, I had mentioned that like people taking a psychology course in Jung might get, you know, the collective unconscious archetypes. Has Jung been misinterpreted and, and shared broadly um, across our culture, you know, recently uh, in a way that <laughs> is is different from what we're saying right now? Are you speaking to your countryman, uh, Jordan Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I sure am. <laughs> he is much loved by the fitness industry. Yes. I think. Uh, yeah. And yet is such an unhealthy man himself. And again, I really don't even mean that as a dig. He, he is a profoundly physically and I would argue emotionally unhealthy individual. And so it is ironic um, to me that he's gained the prominence he has. I think he, Jordan Peterson, um, wildly misinterprets Jung's work. Um, this is basically troll baiting what I'm about to say, but my feeling about, yeah, I don't really want, want the trolls, but, um, Jordan Peterson is to the Jungian world, what Darth Vader is to, uh, to the Jedis and the force. Um, he has taken the essence of some of this work and, and turned it towards a very malevolent, controlling, and dark end, and towards an end that is about missing the father, longing for the dominant father, father, wishing there was the dominant father. Um, it's utterly bound up in both Darth Vader's life and work um, and Jordan Peterson's life and work. I think some of what Jordan Peterson speaks to in terms of young men kind of needing to get their shit together and um, and gain order in their life. It's speaking to something that our culture in a, you know, does a very poor job of, um, offering basically is, is a, a father figure that is sort of has expectations for growth, um, and says, here are the things you need to do to, um, to create order in your life. The problem is he has a complete and total misunderstanding of Jung's work as regards to the feminine or the quote unquote irrational um, Jung's work was all about, about in, embracing the quote unquote chaos because he understood that chaos will revolt if it's not seen and valued. Um, and from my understanding, Jordan Peterson's work is very deeply about kind of eradicating and or controlling the chaos so it doesn't take over. It's a massively uh, uh, misguided um, understanding of the work. And again, I think it's having exceedingly malevolent, um, problematic, um, 
results for for not just a lot of people but for culture at large um i think it's it's we know that it's fueling a kind of alt-right misogynistic backlash which does nobody any favors it does not do men favors um of course it doesn't do women any favors or um, anyone who's gender non-conforming it's extremely violent and toxic but for those men following that again the irony that it is based on jung's work cannot be overstated it, it was so utterly contrary to what Jung's work was about. Um, whew, yeah, that's my short, that's my short version. Yeah, and I think the reason that it's relevant and that it kind of needs to be discussed in the same breath of, you know, us discussing Jung is because he, he does recommend that people read Jung. Um, and, you know, they... I think that there's danger in that, you know, you listen to Jordan Peterson's message and um, then you go read Jung with your, you know, perception of that. And you're reading very specific texts when he wrote a ton. And we were kind of talking about before this started that, like, my view of Jung is that he was actually... So, like, I, I was saying, I was like, my understanding of Peterson's work, which isn't very deep, but, you know, I'm... I'm living and breathing, so I hear about it, is that he's kind of, there's kind of a clawback to modernism, like this 1950s way of life. And what's ironic is Jung was living in the 1950s and, you know, quite highly valuing the feminine um, and, and kind of pushing us beyond modernism. He saw a lot of problems with it. And then, of course, there's deeper irony, I feel like, when you start seeing that Neumann is, uh, Eric Neumann, one of Jung's contemporaries, was also on that list. Um, it's very strange. Neumann was such a radical feminist. It's so confusing that that work is being used in that way. One thing that I wanted to, uh, to ask, too, is you mentioned chaos. And it's like, when I hear the word chaos, I kind of think of its opposite to be maybe order. And, you know, we've been using language like feminine or yin and then also masculine and yang. And it's like, can those, do those have like a, a draw to either side? Or can we categorize those in line with like, is chaos more about like nature and femininity or is it more about masculinity? Um... Yeah, sure. So it's tricky because w in the culture we grew up in, and I say that broadly, I think the dominant culture, for the most part worldwide at this point, um, the idea of order is uh, so comforting. <laughs> it is so, it, it carries with it connotations of, I mean, it's very colonial. It's very much like eradicating um, dangers, unforeseen dangers, controlling nature. You know, it's very much this old, um, European kind of colonial patriarchal idea. So we, we were raised with very comforting associations generally with order. And we were raised with very uncomfortable associations or disgusted associations to the idea of chaos. Chaos is just a word. But yes, nature, it turns out, is quite wild, right? Um, rose bushes, rose bushes don't actually grow the way 99% of the rose bushes we've ever seen uh how look you know they are um they are wild and grow in every direction and they grow quite large and um and they actually have thorns for the most part you know it's like but we have come to only want roses that look a very specific way you know and are often dethorned and not whatnot so 
it's just one image, but it's like what we've been trained to believe um, is just not the case. And so if we think of nature as having a fundamental, wild, uncontrollable uh, basis, we don't know really, we can, we can predict weather, we can't actually control weather, it turns out. Um, we can attempt to control the planet and use the planet. Turns out, as we talk about symptoms, those symptoms may get worse and worse the more we attempt to control it. Climate change, tornadoes, you know, weather patterns, etc. So originally, <laughs> I'm going far afield here, I'll try to bring myself back, but um, yes, chaos has been associated with the feminine, but I think we need to break down that um, kind of detox our understanding of that so we can feel into what that meant. You know, it means the not rationally ordered, but it also means not fascist <laughs> because order when it becomes out of control is fascist. Um, you know, so there's this quality of sort of magic in chaos, magic, intuition, um, love, which does not follow order, no matter how much you want to control who people love, love is utterly disordered and, and finds its own path, right? So, so to say that, that chaos is associated with the feminine, I think is very true. And I think that most Jungians would um, agree with that. But you have to be very careful how it gets interpreted. Um, and, and what the way Jordan Peterson interprets it is from a very specific lens that is utterly inaccurate. Yeah, um, there's so much there, but I, I do love the, well, one, it reminds me of Jung's quote, like when you brought up love, um, around power and love, right? About like, the, if there's the will to power, there is not love. Can you say that again? Because it's so important. Yes, where there is the will to power, there is not love. And that drives my whole thing around the body with fitness. It's like, if you are striving to have power and dominion and control to a stifling extent over your body you're not really loving it and you know i think that that kind of brings up the question of well can we change our bodies and still love it and i think we can but not from that lens of strong arming it into like you had mentioned the roses it's like why do we have that? Well, and we know why there's collective values that infiltrate fitness and are very harmful as well. And they are being, you know, I think overthrown a little bit or overhauled, but they're not quite reaching fitness, which is strange. But, you know, there there are collective values there. And it's like we are trying to be like, this is what a man's body should look like. This is what a woman's body should look like. And it's like, how about you just love your body, treat it well, train and exercise hard? We know. And this is the thing. We don't know that this shape of body is the healthiest body, but we do know that having muscle is good. So let's just have muscle work hard, test our bodies, let it flourish and, and try and challenge and see how it grows. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do is unlock that ability for people to kind of be like, my body, like I'm, if I engage, my body will respond and I'll, and I'll learn through that. Right. Um, that's beautiful. If I engage, my body will respond. And I think that's, that's very lovely, you know, and it's different. I mean, I don't know so much why, the rosebush example arose for me. But I think as I hear you talking, part of what's true for me is I've actually personally never been very attracted to, to highly manicured rosebushes. I find them weirdly antiseptic. The first time I saw a wild rosebush, I, I just gasped. It's like, holy shit, that's what you're supposed to look like? 
you know? Don't they like coil and spiral all over they're just and, and they're just like beautiful. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. stunningly beautiful. And I truly gasp and I still feel it now. And to, to think of that highly manicured, obsessively controlled thing that we do, it's just, um, we don't even know what we're missing when we go in that direction. We think it's right. Cause we've been trained. It's right. We don't know what we're missing. Yeah. And I think if you really feel into that, um, and, and this is, was my experience with fitness and, and I, before I came up with like, you know, I didn't come up with anything. I just started doing this. But when I was trying to like package this into a thing I could talk about, I kept having the words like flat fitness rolling around in my brain because it felt flat. Mm. It, it's lifeless to just mm. kind of doggedly pursue this goal and put all my energy into like making myself look and, and be a certain way. And then that you know, there are certain behaviors and this obsession with discipline and all of these things that don't quite make sense. Um, but I think what's really wonderful about this episode and this podcast, and I know we had kind of mentioned, you know, there's like some political elements to it and, and things like that. But if you really listen deeply to the principles and, and kind of the spirit of what's being said, I think that it all applies to to fitness but also like for me this has been the application of kind of a personal life framework or philosophy into fitness that i found to to really help me and, and resonate and i think that with your experience um as a therapist and and with your work you've seen a similar thing with working towards balancing um ourselves and and you know critically looking at where we are critical and and you know how how these values kind of trickle down to us so oh go ahead well i just i'm just feeling it and i think um i think you know as i hear you the other piece is just how are people what are people's lives outside of the gym and um i i uh, i think your model is setting people up for a satisfying life uh, more successfully than if I just chisel my body in a specific way and control it, then I will get the girl or I will have whatever, um, or I will get the guy, right? I mean, whatever, uh, that we're not actually then holistically showing up as beings. We're, we're buying into a belief. If the body looks like this, I will get the life I want. Um, and I think what you're speaking to is just a much more holistic framework that that um, I believe will be much more successful. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that you're giving your, you know, your feeling on that. And uh, it, it's true. It's the more like fitness is hard, right? So it's like you think of it, you're like doing your exercise that takes an hour a day <laughs> you're doing movement you're going for walks okay cool that's another hour a day or whatever you're cooking food you're tracking your food you're doing stress management which nowadays is apparently just being very rote, rote and <laughs> rational about the way you manage stress like god forbid you paint something um, but there's also like all of these things and eventually it's like all of your energy is in there and it's like but what about yeah. You know, like going for ice cream with your kids yeah. or having like, you know, or going for dinner with your spouse or your partner yeah. and not being, Oh, right. like, how do I count this pizza? It's or like, the, just eat it. Or the synchron <laughs> That's right. I mean, see, you know, part of chaos, right. Is synchronicity. It's magic of the surprising encounters of following the breadcrumbs and not knowing where they're going. 
that's all part of the uncertainty and you know what's trying to be controlled if we stop controlling it there's so much magic in the world absolutely and i mean i know we both probably experienced that firsthand um but yeah it's and that's kind of it like too with i find the magic comes with the results which is very odd but people achieve what they want uh and then you know that kind of saying that like happiness is uh is not is not having what you want it's wanting what you have and there's that kind of like shift but um yeah i thank you so much satya for for joining this podcast and um you know breaking up the <laughs> what i will call monotony of just like constant fitness talk with something that you know reaches a little bit further and allows us to maybe obtain a model that can reach further than fitness but bring tremendous meaning and growth to ourselves in our lives i really really appreciate your time it's truly such a such a pleasure caleb i i have loved this conversation and um and really hope it speaks to people but it's but whether it speaks to them or not i really love talking to you so i'm glad i'm, uh, yeah. I'm glad we likewise did this. yeah i'm glad we did yeah i i i'm sorry listeners but i ultimately don't care if you <laughs> episode <laughs> i did i enjoyed recording it so that's kind of it <laughs> good pleasure such a pleasure thank you for listening to the experience oriented fitness podcast if you enjoyed the episode and found it valuable please share it with the people in your life that you think would benefit from this information if you don't have anyone in mind i encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode throw it up on your favorite social media feed and if that happens to be instagram tag me with the handle at coach caleb k lastly i would love to hear from you i would love to connect send me a question about the episode or your favorite part of the episode via dm on instagram at coach caleb k until next time
thank you for listening to the Experience Oriented Fitness Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and found it valuable, please share it with the people in your life that you think would benefit from this information. If you don't have anyone in mind, I encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode, throw it up on your favorite social media feed, and if that happens to be Instagram, tag me with the handle at Coach Caleb K. Lastly, I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. Send me a question about the episode or your favorite part of the episode via DM on Instagram at Coach Caleb K. Until next time.